It is Tuesday, March 7th, and this is your Morning Mud. This episode is brought to you by Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative, as well as the most aptly named sponsor for this show ever, with one-seventh of the caffeine as a regular cup of coffee. It's made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. And I know what you're thinking, Matt. You are somebody who loves caffeine. Why would you be hawking for a company that is advertising less caffeine? And that's because it worked. It's true. I love caffeine. I used to drink two energy drinks a day, and now I might have one a week. All thanks to Mudwater. If you or someone you love might want to make the switch to Mudwater, all you have to do is head on over to muddiedwatersoffreedom.com slash mud to make the switch today. Morning. I am Matt Wright, the editor-in-chief and CEO of Muddied Waters Media, here to welcome you to a fabulous Tuesday morning. Let's get started off with some of the news happening today. Starting off, Social Security and Medicare are going to be huge battles coming up over the course of the summer. As we all know, the U.S. has recently exceeded its debt limit, and the Republicans are saying that if the Democrats want the debt ceiling increased, that they are going to have to come up with some sort of uh, some sort of negotiations in order to meet somewhere in the middle. And one of the things that everybody thinks that is going to be on the table is Social Security and Medicare. Now, during President Biden's uh, State of the Union. He said that Republicans want to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, and many people on the right started booing him and saying that that was a lie, calling him a liar, and he got them in real time to admit that they weren't going to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, taking it off of the table. Now, what the battle is coming down to is what constitutes a cut to Social Security and Medicare? Now, for the Democrats, any change to Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security that takes away benefits provided under current law would be considered a cut, and therefore, any change that would lower the benefits stands as a non-starter with liberals. Um, so Congress is going to be looking for ways to rein in deficit spending, but touching Social Security and Medicare is not going to be on the table. Now, Republicans, on the other hand, while not saying that they want to get rid of Social Security or Medicare because they don't, um, have long stated that they want a series of safety net changes within the hierarchy of Social Security and Medicare. These would include proposals to hike eligibility ages, reduce benefits for wealthier seniors, and tweak cost of living adjustments to produce long-term government savings, which they kind of see as necessary in order to make sure that these programs last longer than what they are projected to last at this moment. Now, so we are looking at cuts versus reforms as opposed to, you know, 
just letting people keep all of their money and figuring out their retirement and their health on their own. Because if we get rid of government and the health industry, we know prices would go down. Um, now, according to government studies, Medicare is projected to experience short uh, funding shortfalls in 2028. So three years from now? Uh, nope, sorry, five years from now. I can't do math in my head. Uh, from five years from now, and Social Security is supposed to follow in 2032. That is when a lot of people say that these things are going to start going away because we will have no more money inside of them. And that is because we have less people working here today now, young people working, and more older people. And the older people feel they are entitled to this because they were promised at a young age that the money that was going into these programs would be theirs when they got to be retirement age. So, according to Representative Buddy Carter out of Georgia, he says, at some point the future, this country is going to have to talk, sorry, at some point in the future, this country is going to have to talk about those things. I don't know when that point will be, but certainly what Republicans want to do, and this is extremely important, we want to secure and stabilize and save these programs. That is what we are proposing. Now, obviously, Democrats aren't believing this. Uh, according to Representative Raul, boy, I should have looked this one up. This is a pre-recorded show, and it's still Grijalva. Raul Grijalva, Democrat out of Arizona, uh, the American people realize that if it walks and quacks, it's a duck. And this is about cuts. We have to keep reading that we have to keep reading that and making sure they don't get away with couching it or hiding it under the question of reform. It's not reform, they're major major cuts. Now, a proposal, one of the pro proposals that they have offered is to increase the retirement age to 70. Um and that was most recently included in the 2023 budget blueprint championed by the Republican study committee. And that way with this new plan, they can take your money for three more years that you'll be working. You know, you're going to have to work the extra three years. I mean, not that you can retire on social security anyway, but you'll be working for those three years. They'll be taking money out of your paycheck for those three years and then that's three less years they have to pay you with the money that you put into that account. Instead, they'll be able to use it in other ways. Um, and as Representative Don Bacon from Nebraska says, I don't count that as a cut myself. We're trying to save it. It's going to go insolvent. We need a plan to fix it. Yes, that is, Don, you are, you are absolutely right. You do need a plan to fix it. However, this isn't it. The only way to truly fix it is to get rid of it. But let's continue. Um, another proposal for reducing Social Security spending uh, would be over the longer term would link the future cost of living increases to the consumer price index, which would reduce benefits over time. Because right now you get a certain amount of increase on a certain basis. But if it's more linked to the CPI, then depending on what the CPI is, that would depend on how big or little of an increase in um, Social Security you would actually get. 
Now, this was something that was originally proposed by Obama when he was in uh, when he was in office to try to coax Republicans into deficit reduction me measures. But all it really did was make liberals mad. And now they are standing there still angry that people would attempt to uh, push this sort of policy. Uh, Representative Michael Burgess, a Republican from Texas, he's a senior member of both the Budget and Energy and Commerce Committees, said the financial health of entitlements will require Congress to come to some sort of agreement. There will be a lot of pushback, but at the end of the day, we all know particularly the programs that we have, the trust funds, Social Security and Medicare. When those trust funds are exhausted, there will be some bad things that happen to beneficiaries. Now, both parties need Social Security and Medicare. As much as Republicans will talk about how terrible they are and, uh, you know, anybody that's not a Republican or a Democrat will talk about how they're antiquated systems and their Ponzi schemes and it, they don't actually do the intended purpose um, and instead they just steal money from those who are working and give it to somebody else. But... Both parties need that because without it, they don't have anything to run on. So they need to be able to run on Social Security and Medicare. Republicans can't take away Social Security because then they'll lose the over 65 vote. They can't take away Medicare because of the same reason. Democrats always want to promise that they're going to be increasing Medicare and Social Security so that way they can coax over those votes. So both parties need it. Now, the only question that we are going to be seeing, the only question that we're going to be seeing is who is this going to hurt the most? Will it be the people receiving the entitlements or the taxpayers who are paying for them? So the House Judiciary Committee on Monday issued three subpoenas in order to go ahead on two of the most controversial probes that they've got going on, they sent subpoenas to two people previously connected with the National School Board Association as part of its ongoing investigation into a short-lived Justice Department memo encouraging the FBI to coordinate with school boards amid rising violent threats to its members. We remember this from the Loudoun County School District in Virginia where a man's daughter was raped in the bathroom and the uh, school board, the school and the school board covered it up and he went to a school board meeting and the video of him being arrested at the school board meeting going irate over his daughter being raped in a bathroom went viral. Um, and then the third subpoena was sent to the famed Department of Misinformation chairwoman uh, Nina Jankowitz, Jankowitz, um, which was quickly, her job was quickly disbanded because of all of the criticism and trolling that happened online. Now, Jim Jordan, who finally got to be chair of these committees, uh, something he has wanted basically his whole career, um, cast the 2021 school board memo as an anti-parent directive and has claimed that, that the uh, school board association coordinated with the White House as part of the pretext to go after parents. 
Um, the board decided that they would send a letter to the White House a week before the memo was released, laying out a bunch of incidents at recent school board meetings, Nothing, noting that uh, some threats could be the equivalent of a form of domestic terrorism and hate crime. Uh, so the Justice Department memo fell short of what the group was asking for, however, did stress coordination and partnership with local law enforcement over any legal review. The political storm that happened after that um, caused the school board association to issue statements saying its members regret and apologize for the letter as because they felt as though even after calling the parents of the students of the school who wanted to make sure that their students that their that their children were safe in the schools, they were calling them terrorists and trying to have them arrested under the Patriot Act. Um, Jordan is saying that the, that the policy has a chilling effect on free speech, um, but a D.C.-based judge in September dismissed the suit from parents in Michigan and Virginia, saying the memo does not, impa- does not impact constitutionally protected speech. So the subpoenas were sent to Viola Garcia, who's the group's treasurer secretary, and Chip Slavin, the former interim executive director of the school board association who is no longer with the organization. Um, The board obviously did not decide to comment on this because why would they? They're really good at claiming things and then never following up. Now, Jankowitz, who did weird karaoke songs, um, dressed as... as, uh, the Wizard of Oz characters, um, I think. Um, She is a disinformation expert who did nothing but push disinformation. Uh, She said that the lab leak was disinformation. As we know now, it was a lab leak. She said that anybody saying that masks don't work was disinformation. We now know masks don't work. And anybody saying anything bad about the vaccine, uh, she said that that was disinformation. And, well, we know what that is. So calling her an expert is definitely not the wisest of choices. Um, She was hired to create the Disinformation Governance Board, and it would help different agencies in dealing with disinformation uh, on different topics, but it was kind of meant to go for COVID and Russian uh, disinformation in elections. Those were the two things that she was really supposed to be looking into. Um, in the midst of uh, fundraising, sorry, uh, Republicans, Republicans and literally everybody on the internet uh, quickly labeled this the Ministry of Truth because that's what it was. They were going to be deciding what was true and what wasn't true, and the DHS ended up getting rid of it. Now, she is currently suing Fox News over the way they, uh, over the way that they covered the Ministry of Truth or the Ministry of Disinformation um, and saying that they, you know, slandered her, slandered her because of her role. However, if people would look at the stuff that she said was disinformation, they would see that she doesn't know what disinformation is. Um, She will not, she did say that she will not be cowed 
by conspiracy theories or intimidation uh, to come in on this subpoena. So Jim Jordan, or sorry, she said, under Jim Jordan, the abuse of congressional oversight powers is about to get wildly out of control. His weaponization committee is the entity that is actually weaponizing our government and the American people deserve better. I will happily testify to the truth of the board under oath. Just real quick, I don't think she knows what the truth of the board is because I don't think the board knew what the truth was. But I digress. She goes on, that is what a working group meant to address disinformation that endangered American safety and because of the Republican Party's irresponsible lies about it, our democracy is less secure. No, that's not why our democracy is less secure. Our democracy was never that secure. And the fact that you think that what you were saying was truth shows that you are just so hell-bent on spreading more disinformation that you shouldn't be the head of a board of disinformation. Um, I've said it before with these sort of hearings, nothing is going to come from this. The only thing good that comes from this is you get to see these people up on, take the oath and have to sit there and testify in front of these people, but they lie. They're going to lie. She's going to lie. Um, and she's going to spend whatever narrative she wants to spend. It'll be entertaining to watch. Nothing's going to come of it. However, it will be fun to watch. And you, the discerning watcher, will be able to take a look and see what it is that she is still trying to peddle as truth because you know those questions are going to be coming up. And you can see where she's going to be peddling them as truth. And when she gets called on the things that she said was disinformation, see how she spends it to say that what she was saying was not a lie uh, or trying to spread a specific narrative. That's going to be the fun part. Stay tuned for more. Uh, we'll be right back right after these commercials. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you for still being here. Um, so, John Fetterman. John Fetterman, as we all know, John Fetterman is the freshman senator out of Pennsylvania who beat Mehmet Oz in the uh, recent Senate election in Pennsylvania, uh, which that shouldn't have been tough to pick. Uh, once once uh, Josh Shapiro won the governorship by 14 points, you knew that Mehmet Oz was going to lose that race. It wasn't even, if you couldn't pull some, if you win, if you're a Democratic governor and you can't pull a Democratic candidate for Senate over when you have a 14 point lead, you're not a good candidate. Your, your person running for Senate isn't not a good candidate. But we also know that John Fetterman suffered a severe stroke on the campaign trail and probably should not have been involved in this race at all. Instead, what we had was him going out very embarrassingly, having to, uh, he didn't understand questions. He had to read things off of monitors. He got uh, things mixed up. He was saying goodnight when he meant you know, instead of uh, good afternoon or hello or whatever. And you could see that the stroke was definitely taking its toll on John Fetterman. Now, one of the many things that happens after people have strokes, it's a regular side effect after a stroke, is you come down with a severe depression. When you add that in to, when you add that in to, uh, you know, taking over being a senator uh, and, 
being a senator and having people talking to you all day long and having trouble processing it, I'm certain that that adds to that depression. Now, he initially went into the hospital because he was feeling lightheaded and people were afraid that he was having another stroke. They released him and they said that he was, he was fine medically. And then he went back in. Uh, he went back in a f few days later for clinical depression. And he has been in the hospital now for like a month. Now, since then, a lot of weird stuff has happened. Nobody's really asked a lot of questions about it. His wife, instead of being there to be with her husband, took the kids and went to Canada. Um, and But the media hasn't really followed up on anything, and they haven't been attempting to uh, find out what's going on with Fetterman. Well, finally, for the first time, there are pictures of Fetterman on the internet and it looks like he's lost some weight. Um, it looks like he's lost some weight, but the top aide to John Fetterman uh, said that Fetterman is well on his way to recovery, uh, but he still remains hospitalized and receiving treatment for clinical depression, but will return to work in the Senate soon. Now he tweeted these three pictures of Fetterman uh, during a meeting yesterday with him at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and they were discussing a number of items that Fetterman is expected to work on in the coming months. Um, so Fetterman has been hospitalized since February, day after Valentine's Day, yeah, so February 15th for treatment um, and they're saying that he has experienced depression off and on throughout his life, but it becomes severe in the weeks before checking into the hospital, which, again, is a massive side effect, a major side effect and a regular side effect of people who have a stroke. Um, now, they're saying that he was one of the co-sponsors of the rail safety legislation that was unveiled by J.D. Vance, uh, J.D. Vance, Sherrod Brown, and in the wake of the train derailment that happened in East Palestine, Ohio. Except if he was in the hospital since February 15th and before that he was in the hospital for something else and the train derailment was like a day before that, how is he a co-sponsor on this bill? Now, I don't wish Fetterman any, any bad luck. Like, I, I, I don't wish him any ill will. And I hope that he recovers, and I hope that he gets the help that he needs. However, a lot of questions are going to have to come up on whether or not Fetterman is fit to serve in the Senate. Uh, again, I hope he's okay. I hope that he can continue living his life normally, or as, at least as normally as somebody who appears to be seven foot two and looks like Uncle Fester can. But is he fit to work in the Senate? Um, they say that he had a pacemaker put in not long ago, but he has tr and he still uh, struggles with auditory processing issues from the stroke, and he has to rely on closed captioning. How easy is it for him to be able to do his job? And people who come and whenever you ask these questions say you're an ableist. Yeah, I yes, I guess you can say I am, just like. I don't want somebody in a wheelchair playing quarterback for my favorite football team, or I don't want, you know, somebody who uh, is built like me 
hitting fourth for my favorite baseball team. You know, like, yeah, I am an ableist in some ways. Um, so I wish him all the luck. We need to find out if he's healthy or not. I am glad to see that he is at least up and communicating with people. Uh, so I wish him all the health in the world. Uh, but really, is he fit to be doing the job that he is doing? That is the episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what is happening here at Muddied Waters Media, I ask you to do a couple of simple favors for us. Please, whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on, give us a five-star review. Also, leave a review. And the biggest way that you can help is by sharing this episode with your friends. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you again very soon. And remember, where we're going... We don't need roads.